What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Last year, we launched our course, The Data-Driven Classroom, and had hundreds of educators and clinicians take this course with consistently amazing feedback. I heard from so many teachers how this course really changed the way they approach data, how they were able to set up simple data systems, train their paras, and be collecting data to make data-based decisions within days of finishing the course. That feedback made me so happy. Now that course has been closed and unavailable since last year, but guess what? We are reopening the course, the data-based classroom, and I want you to be one of the first ones in. If data is something you have been struggling with for years, let's work on this together. Let me give you all of the tools to make this something that can consistently happen in your classroom. And guess what? Since you are a podcast listener, and I absolutely love my podcast listeners, I have an awesome code for you. When you use the code DATA100, you're going to get $100 off of the course bundle. Now, this code is only going to be usable until March 20th. So you only have one week to use this code, but Data 100 will get you $100 off of that course bundle. So that means for less than $200, you are getting the amazing data toolkit with literally hundreds of data sheets, all editable. And don't worry, I teach you how to edit it. And that entire data-driven course that touches on academic data, behavior data, staff training, and so much more. There's a link in the show notes with all of the information. Let's make this year the year that data really works. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. I am so excited to be chatting with a fellow data nerd today. You guys know I love me some data. So I am really excited to talk to a data expert. Today I'm chatting with Dr. Christine Reeve, who has her PhD in clinical psychology and she is also a BCBA. Chris has over 20 years of experience in the field. She's really worked in all settings. She's worked in community outreach, academia, education, and clinical settings. So she has so much great experience to pull from. Chris has written four different special education books. I'd definitely recommend checking out her most recent book, Taming the Data Monster, which is on the topic we're talking about today. Currently, Chris creates classroom resources, does webinars, does in-person trainings. Head over to her website, autismclassroomresources.com to learn more about everything she's working on right now. In this conversation, we cover a ton of ground. If you are brand new to taking data or the idea of data really intimidates you, Chris gives some great tips of how to get started in a way that's simple and not overwhelming. We talk about strategies to get your staff involved and get that ever important staff buy-in because this just has to be a team endeavor. And then we get detailed and chat about rubrics and data samples and self-graphing data. Chris is a wealth of information and I'm so excited for you guys to learn from her. Hi, Chris. Thanks so much for joining us. I am excited to have a fellow BCBA and fellow data nerd on the podcast. So thank you. (laughs) Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Um, So let's jump right in. I wanted to start at like the ground level of data. And I'm sure you speak to many teachers who say the same thing to you, but and they're always shy to admit like that they don't take data. They haven't taken data before. It feels like this guilty like sin they've committed um, and don't know where to start. Like what advice do you have for that teacher? I think for those teachers, and I do think that data is probably the hardest thing teachers do in their day is that's the piece that really trips them up. And part of it is because you really have to think all the way back to how you write the goal, mm-hmm. how the goals are written 
shows you how you're going to have to take your data. And sometimes we write our goal in a way that we make our life impossible. You know, I, we wrote a goal that he's, we're going to count the frequency of every time he has a behavior problem and he has one every 30 seconds. Um, so I think that's the first thing. I think the other thing that's important is to really create a system so that it isn't just, well, I took some data over here and I took some data over here and now I got to figure out how to put it together. Um, you know, you can take sample data where you're just taking it twice a week, but then you want to make sure you're doing it in a consistent way, not just, oh, he's having a good day. I think I'll take the data now. Mm -hmm. uh, so you want to know, you want to be able to go back and say, same thing with work product. If you can use a permanent product or something that the student created, for heaven's sakes, do that because that's the easiest thing. But just make sure that you're doing it with a system because otherwise, you know, somebody's going to look at it and say, well, you just pulled out the good ones. What happened to the days that he wasn't having a good day? Um, so I always say, if your data is really pretty, I've only had two teachers in my career that I've actually kind of let have their data be pretty. Um, interestingly enough, both their sets of A's were afraid to take data in their notebook because they would mess it up. <laughs> so data is not usually pretty and that's how you know it's real. That's a really um, good point. Yeah. And, you know, and that really goes against the grain for a lot of teachers. And these two teachers were very OCD and they were great. And they actually, I actually saw them take data. So I knew they were taking it that neatly, but both of them had problems getting their aides on board because they're like, I don't want to mess up her notebook. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, then I'm going to find you your own data sheet. <laughs> um, and I think that's another thing. I think getting your aides involved is really, really important because you can't, as the teacher, you cannot be the only person taking data in the classroom. First of all, you're not with every child when you need to have the data. So the data is the way that your staff can report information back to you in an objective way um, so that it doesn't become kind of a game of telephone. Uh, or one person tells one person and one person tells another person. And by the end, you have something completely different. Yes. Um, the data actually keeps it consistent and keeps it objective. Um, and I think really, you know, you want to make sure you're tracking your IEP goals. You want to make sure that you're tracking any challenging behaviors that you're either trying to assess or trying to monitor. But I think that it within those two, and that's where I would start, but within those I do what's called a teaching implementation plan that I developed to help teachers think through how they're going to teach IEP goals. And a byproduct of that, of that is that there's a section on how are you going to take data on it mm -hmm. so that before you ever walk in, really, we do it at the beginning of the year or when we set up a class so that when you walk in and work with the student, you know how you're going to take data on it. And you may change it down the line and say, that doesn't really work, but you have a plan. And to me, I don't know. I don't know about you, but to me, having the plan Absolutely. is three quarters of the yeah, battle. That's half, I think that's the, the scary part for teachers. They're like, I don't know where to start. Like, and it's not going to be, you know, perfect by day one, week one, year one even, but it's just getting started is so aversive that it's just avoided mm -hmm. altogether. And if you can have mm -hmm. that plan, then that first kind of check mark is done. I have my plan. I just have to implement it. So right. what do you think for teachers that come into a school year, whether they're new or returning, but getting new kids that have those IEP goals that they've inherited that just stink, that make, I mean, you, I'm sure you've read a million hilarious, like sometimes literally just hilarious oh, yeah. IEP goals that you can't even make sense of. What do you suggest to those teachers? They're not going to like the answer. Um, <laughs> what I suggest is that you actually call an IEP and rewrite the IEP goals, depending on how bad they are. Yes. If you can figure them out and you kind of know what they are and you have a good relationship with the family and you can talk about what, where did this come from? Or there's other people that are still on the team from before, then you might be able to just say, this is what we're going to focus on for this goal. But I think you run the risk of getting to an IEP meeting at the end of the year and saying, well, he didn't master this goal and finding out that that wasn't what you meant at all. Yeah. Um, you meant something completely different. Um, or, you know, yep, he followed the code of conduct, which was one goal that I ran across one time. He'll follow the code of conduct. I'm like, okay, so all we have to do is count how many times he gets suspended. <laughs> okay, let's see if that works. Yeah. He can get suspended. He mastered his goal. Not really, but... Yeah. 
Um, so I think you do have to go back and revisit and talk about and say, we can take this concept. We just need to tweak this goal so that it's both measurable so that it meets his needs and we can actually implement it. Yeah. I think sometimes just even, even if it's not like a hilarious goal, like I read one recently that was, will like demonstrate reading comprehension by acting out a scene that was read to them. And I was like, acting out like this is not a theater class. (laughs) Like teachers like, I don't even know where to go with this. Um, but even if it's like a decent goal and I see a lot as I'm sure you do that measurable component, not being there. Like I joke, like everyone just slaps 80%, like 80%, 80%, 80%. I'm like, if I drove my car with 80% accuracy, like I would be in trouble. (laughs) Like, so what do you think about tweaking? Would you call a new IEP meeting just for tweaking the measurable criteria and the mastery criteria on a goal for goals? It, it depends. It depends on whether or not it's something that, you know, if it says 80%, but I'm not sure 80% of what, but I feel like we know what we're teaching, then I might find a way to get that 80%. Yeah. If it's a situation where, let's say, one of the things that I ran into, and I used to write these goals, he will initiate a conversation 80% of the time. Yeah. Well, the problem with initiating a conversation is the time he didn't initiate, I don't know how to yeah. what that looks like. If he's not Because he can initiate a conversation a- <laughs> all the time. So am I like taking time and how much time is he talking? I don't know. Um, and I wrote it over and over. And all of a sudden when I was going to take date on it one day, I went, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. And so those are actually things I will go back to the team and say, we can do something real quick. And, you know, sometimes we don't even have to have a meeting. Yeah, that's a great If we point. just share with mom what we want to do, share with dad what we want to do and say, okay, these are the changes we're going to make just to make it a little bit stronger. Yeah. I've never, I've, I've rarely, I can't say never, I have rarely had a family that has been bothered by the idea that you want to make something clearer. Yeah. For everybody. Yeah, that's a really good point. And since we're talking about IEP goals, and you mentioned earlier, you know, the data collection process starts with those goals. What are some tips you have for teachers when they're, you know, sitting down in front of their 87th IEP of the year, and they've got to write goals? How do we start thinking of the data collection process then? I think you have to think first about what you need to teach. And then you have to figure out what that looks like and how it's going to be measured, but also in how you can implement it in your classroom. Because sometimes we, you know, we really cut off our nose to spite our face because we write a goal and it's like, why did I write that I would, you know, track that every single day? I can't teach the rest of my kids because I'm just taking it on this kid all day. Um, And so I think that you have to think about, could you take a sample? You know, could you take a a regular sample? Is it something you could use work product for? Is it something that you could use a rubric for where you just assess periodically? Mm -hmm. Do you have the staff that are going to be able to implement the data collection is another big one, particularly if you have kids going into general ed. So we actually started using rubrics in part because we had a kindergartner that was going to regular kindergarten who needed no support in her classroom. And it was like, and the teacher's like, I can't take all that data. I got 30 kids. Mm-hmm. And she said, but once a week I could sit down and do an observation. So that's what, but we needed information and that worked and a rubric worked for her. So can we do a rubric? Do we need frequency? Do we need, um, you know, new skills we need more data on skills that the students are practicing. We need less data on, mm-hmm. um, skills that they're doing well with. We need less data on. So the things that you're going to do maybe in your direct instruction are going to be things that you take more regular data on the things that are being embedded into other parts of the classroom are things we might take sample data on. And I usually will start with a system of like trial by trial or incident by incident data in a small group instruction with the teacher and then sample data two weeks across a couple activities where the skills are embedded. Um, And then figure out when there's something else, what else I need to put in there. Yeah, that's a great. And I think that sounds so much more manageable, you know, to a Mm -hmm. a teacher too. Like, because I think, you know, when you think about, oh my God, I've got eight goals per student. I've got eight students and that's this many goals. And how am I going to do that every day? Soon, you've already convinced yourself that you're not doing it. So looking at ways to make it realistic, even before you put the IEP goal down is such a great point. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and looking, yeah. thinking about the staff that you have too, not like the staff you're supposed to have on paper, like who typically is in your room every single day. Um, and so thinking about that staff component, which you mentioned earlier, like I absolutely agree. The key to this all is like the whole team. And I know I've met many teachers that are like, no, no, no. I'll just do it myself. I don't want to delegate. I like it this way. Like you said, you know, my pretty data, but it, you know, you can't, you have to teach your team to take data too. So one question, I get this question a lot and I wrote this down cause I, I've answered it recently, but I want to hear your answer too, is how do you like convince or help your staff understand the importance of data? So even maybe before you start the training, how, how are you selling them on this? The best way that I need, I know to do it is to get them involved in the analysis component and show them what you're using the data for. Um, in the preschool where I used to work at the university, our aides are there every afternoon. So when kids leave, they have the amazing opportunity to sit down as a team, but they never did. And everybody would kind of go visit and socialize and that we would say, why isn't the data being analyzed? And we said, this is the perfect time to bring your aides in and sit down as a team and go through the data once a week. Mm -hmm. And we set up data Thursday. Nobody could have any meetings on Thursday afternoons. And that was the day everybody in the building analyzed their data. And one of the things that the teachers immediately said was, my aides are so much better at taking the data now because they want to see like, is it getting better? Yes. Is it getting worse? What's going on? And once they see that, it's meaningful. It's kind of like if you're a behavior analyst and you come in and do an assessment, a functional assessment on a student and then walk away and come back and say, do this. Mm -hmm. But you never say, here's what I found. Here's what that ABC data you took from me meant. And this is how I got here. Um, then it's just like, well, that's a nice piece of paper. I'm going to go put it in my file cabinet <laughs> and I can check it off my list and we'll be done. So, I mean, I think everybody really benefits from being included in that opportunity. And yeah. I think at some point you do with your age, you do have to say, I need you to do this. Yeah. I need you to give me information. How can I help you? Yes. Um, you know, and you may have to have simpler data systems for them, um, at the you know, certain points of the day, rather than expecting them to take the kind of data that you might take when you're in a small group, because yeah. most of them haven't had a lot of practice with it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, they're brand new. And like a lot of paraprofessionals, even if they're great in the field, didn't maybe have formal training. So you handing a complicated data sheet, and in, in all reality, sometimes the data sheet is something the teacher couldn't do either because you haven't tried it yourself. I always recommend you try it yourself first. And yeah, that's, I mean, such a simple thing that I think is forgotten is just asking, what can we make, mm -hmm. what can we do to make this easier for you? Because they probably mm -hmm. have an idea that's been stewing in their head for a month and they've been mad about it, that they have the answer. Um, but yeah, I, 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 it's exactly what I think, the buy-in. And I used to always, with my paras in my class, have the mastery criteria on the top of the paper. So they knew when they hit the mastery criteria, they got to move on to the next set, which they were bored. Mm -hmm. they're, they're like, yeah, let's do it. Like they're bored of working on the same four body, body parts. Let's get to the next ones. So it was all kind of tied in. Um, mm -hmm. And you had kind of touched on this at the end about, you know, at, at the end, at, at some point, having to have that tough conversation of this is what you need to do. Um, what do you suggest for teachers that have staff that's, that are resistant to doing it after doing the best training they could? I think you have something that you call the classroom mission statement, and I call it the classroom vision statement. Yeah. I was reminded the other day it's not really a vision because it's not for five years, <laughs> uh, but it's it's my vision of what I want this classroom to be. I've started really working with teachers to help them sit with their staff, even if it's everybody leave a post-it note on the vision board when you leave the classroom today telling me what you want out of this class. And it gives you an opportunity to have a conversation about what is it that we want for these kids. Because then when you go to give that correction or that I really need you to get on board with this, it's a whole lot easier to take it back to remember our vision is we want our kids to be really good communicators. We need to know if the communication device is working for him and the data is going to show us that. Um, so I think when you can tie it into that community, we all decided um, that this is what we wanted, then it's a lot easier to take because it's not I'm telling you. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm the boss of you. Yeah. It never works. And just because, <laughs> yes, I know it doesn't. And just because someone didn't write on their mission statement, I want to get better at data collection, doesn't right. mean, you know, that data collection isn't part of that mission because it's going to 
cause, you know, behavior change and let us know if we're, our kids are becoming more independent. So even though data's not specifically on there, it really always is going to be on there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great mm-hmm. kind of tie-in. So we touched a little bit on academic data, but let's kind of flip it to behavior data. Cause I know this, this I think is where teachers will jump in all in more quickly because they see there's an eminent need. Like when you're getting punched in the face, like, okay, yeah, I'll try that data stuff they've been talking about. Um, but it, there's obviously a lot of obstacles. So thinking about those extreme situations, high frequency or high magnitude, you know, aggression or disruption, um, what are your suggestions for those type of data collection processes? I think first, don't think that you have to have data on every single thing and know why you're taking data, which really is a good thing across all kinds of data, but know what it is that you want out of it. So if you're trying to figure out what the function is, you're going to need some antecedent behavior consequence data. You're going to need what the context is of the situation. But if you are just trying to track, is it getting better or is it getting worse? There's a lot simpler systems that you can use. And so that's where, you know, maybe there are situations where you need to pull out a counter and take data with that. Maybe it's that you take interval data. I've even had some teachers who have been really reliable in taking just rating data. Uh, It was a good day. It was a horrible day. Like we had Mm -hmm. a five point scale. We anchored those scales and she on a calendar wrote down what kind of day had, because if he had a bad day, it was a bad day all day long. It wasn't like I have another kid that has a great morning, has a great afternoon, but in the middle he crashes. Um, and that time changes. And I, if I need to know when that is, then I might look at something like an interval system mm-hmm. where I can go back and say, oh, the clusters of problems are happening around this time. And those systems um, are both things gen ed teachers could easily use, you know, oh, like absolutely. Without, or a paraprofessional that's going into the gen ed. So it doesn't, like mm-hmm. you said, have to be complicated. Right. Um, and I like your uh, point about the ABC data because actually I just talked to someone about this. They're like, man, we ABC data is so hard to take. We've been taking it for four months. And I was like, well, you guys are really bad at taking ABC data. If you haven't figured out the function yet, like <laughs> you shouldn't be taking ABC data for four months. Like the point is to get to a reasonable hypothesis, you know, in right. as short amount of time as, you know, you think is an idea because you're never going to know and then move on to, like you said, you know, something that's going to tell you, are you making progress? Right. And on the flip side, if you want to know what the function is, don't just take frequency. Yes. Yeah. Cause that's going <laughs> to tell you how often it happens, but it's not going to tell you anything about when or where or how. Yes, absolutely. What are your tips for ABC data? Cause that can be, I'm sure I like tell this joke a lot in trainings, like a teachers will hand me three spiral notebooks just filled with like diary entries of ABC data. And I'm like, if you think I'm reading this, like that's funny because neither you or I are reading this data. Yeah. I think making it as short and sweet as you can, I think I find that it differs according to staff and according to student, depending on what the behaviors are. If I know the student and I know what the behaviors are that are going to be you know, what we're tracking, if I kind of know his schedule and what he's doing, we can use, I've got a generic checklist, but we use a checklist ABC. I've added in things like, did something happen today that set his whole day off? Um, You know, is he tired? Does he not feel well? To try to get at some of those concepts, we've added in, did the behavior stop after this consequence? Because if it didn't, that gives us information. So it's just, it's a checkoff system and it also avoids the thing that happens to me all the time, which is what happened before the behavior, nothing. And it's like, okay, he's not living in a vacuum. So <laughs> there is no world in which nothing happened. And I know that what they mean is I didn't see a trigger. And I'm like, I don't care about the trigger. If I knew what the trigger was, I wouldn't be asking <laughs> you to take the data. Um, and that's, that's a huge one too. It's like, guys, don't think that it's this. Cause if I knew that answer, we wouldn't be doing it. Trust me. I'm not going to ask you to do anything you don't have to yeah. do. <laughs> They're trying to make your lives easier. <laughs> right. Um, that's a great thing to explain to staff too. Cause I think that's probably a misunderstanding amongst teams a lot. Like, because teachers aren't there the whole day, they go to gym, they go mm-hmm. to, you know, recess. What happened before this? And they're like, nothing, you know, explaining, you know, we know ABC stands for, you know, that the A is antecedent and a lot of, you know, seasoned teachers will know what that means, but really explaining to the staff and yeah, the checklist mm-hmm. idea, then you, you have to check something because there was mm-hmm. definitely something that was happening. Even if they were just playing alone, I want to know that. Right. 
Yeah. Well, and then you have to be careful when you interpret it because what you get back to is for consequence, everybody got redirected. Yes. And so it's really easy to look at it and go, well, everybody has attention seeking problems. It's like, no, the first thing we always do is redirect. Yeah. Okay. So, so talk to that, that a little bit because that is a frequent problem. So we get, so what Chris was saying that like, you know, a problem behaviors, usually people don't ignore them. You usually say something or correct. So yeah, talk a little bit about the over attention function. <laughs> Um, I think it's really easy. I, I would get data and, you know, redirected, verbally redirected, physically, they would be checking it off as they did it. And I wanted them to check off everything because I wanted to know what really is happening in that moment as much as possible. But I then have to kind of factor out the, oh, look, every time this behavior happens, someone redirects him, which when I analyze the data might look like he's getting a lot of attention, but it's not stopping the behavior, which means it probably isn't attention. It's probably the third thing that they checked. And, you know, maybe it's he got let out of the tasks that he's doing or something like that. But it's really easy to just look at the numbers and say, oh, well, it's attention. Mm-hmm. When really it's just, no, that's normal life. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's naturally what you'll be putting there. Um, mm-hmm. So on, we kind of talked about like high frequency behavior, but what I struggle with still with like clients and school consults is those really high magnitude, but low frequency behaviors. I mean, just like hard to wrap your brain around because it's harder to see those patterns. What are your suggestions there? I think having a really good experienced person, a BCBA or somebody with a lot of experience in looking at behavior to go in and look I don't know about you, but whenever I go into school, it's always opposite day. Always. If the kid is supposed to be an amazing, have an amazing day, he has the worst day he's had all year. Yes. If he's supposed to be horrible, he has the best days yes. he has all year. And I have a district that's like, could you just come live with him? Like, <laughs> it won't work if I do that. But um, because of that, a lot of times when I go to observe, I get to see the behavior. But when you've been doing it long enough, it's amazing what you can see about the student, even though you're not seeing those actual behaviors. Mm -hmm. Um, and you can see what kind of is pushing him the wrong way or not. But so that's one piece. I think the other is you've got to take ABC data and you probably need ABC data in more detail. Mm -hmm. Um, you probably do need more than a checkoff and you need somebody who to make sure the staff understands, tell me everything that's happening in the environment. Um, and sometimes I'll even say, you know, if it's possible with legal issues and things like that, pull out your camera, your phone and take a video of it as soon as it starts for me, because I'll miss the antecedent, but at least I'll get the rest of the interactions. And that may give us some good information about what's going on. And it's very hard to take that data in those high magnitude situations. You can't take it at the time yeah, because you're busy keeping yourself from being beat up. Yeah. So it's always going to be retrospective. And then I think we have to find other ways to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard tough. In the, yeah. It's tough. And those high magnitude situations, you know, yeah, you're never, you're never going to have enough staff, like even the dream school right. where there's just one sole person who doesn't have, it's like all hands on deck in those situations. So yeah, data will, I mean, it's never going to be hundred percent accurate, which is fine because you can't mm-hmm. be like mid punch, like, hold on, honey, let me count that real quick. Um, so obviously it's going to be an estimation, but yeah, looking at kind of those longer term things. And that might, you know, I was joking about that a minute ago. That might be a situation where you have to take ABC data for four months because it might only have happened, mm-hmm. you know, a handful right. of times within those four months. Um, you know, so that's a really good point. Um, kind of switching gears here, talking, we talked about paras, but what about parents? How do we involve parents in the data process and kind of loop parents in on this? Because I honestly think a lot of parents don't even know that they probably, you know, they should be asking, you know, what's going on with this goal? And they could ask to see data or a summary of data and things like that. So how could we loop parents in in a way that's great for parents, but also not super overwhelming to the teacher? And not super overwhelming to the parents. Yeah, that's I mean, true. <laughs> I, I have parents that, you know, we walk in with all these graphs and I, well, I have one set of parents who I adore who dad is like, give me the graph. And mom's like, get it away from me. Um, I mean, their brains just work completely differently. She's like, you know me, I don't want that graph thing. Damn. Um, and, but 
having the graphs there was huge with him because he's very analytical. Mm -hmm. And so to him, he's like, this lets me see. And he'll come back and even look at it and give us patterns and things. But a lot of families, we've sent data home and it's like just totally overwhelming to them. Mm -hmm. It's like, stop sending this home to me. I don't know what to do with it. I think helping them know that's again, where I use my teaching implementation plan to help them see this is your child's IEP. This is what your child's day looks like. This is how they go together. Mm -hmm. This is where I'm taking the data on that. This is where we're getting those opportunities to practice this skill. This is how I know that his IEP is being implemented. And then I can share that data with you on a regular basis. And then I think you also just want some sort of objective home note that's going home on a regular basis that's not just, hey, he had a great day, hey, he had a horrible day, that's giving you more information about where the problems were. Yeah. And taking those, you know, I know everyone loves progress reports and all those things, but that's a good opportunity to put even a little summary of, you know, in March we were at this, but in May we're at this. So sharing a little bit of those numbers, it doesn't have to be all of them, but a little taste. I love that story Mm -hmm. about the dad and the graphs, because I've definitely had parents like that, that the visuals, you know, do give such a different perspective than just a sheet of numbers. And I really love showing parents, you know, the Abel's graph because they don't understand necessarily what's on it, but because we can track the, the year's behaviors that, or the year's skills that they've learned in a different color, you know, we did the first set in gray and then everything that's in green is what they've learned and mastered in the last year, the last six months. So he's like, oh, wow, there's a lot of green and like, they don't know what it is, but it's, wow, I can visually see that growth. Um, Mm -hmm. and I tell teachers, you could like chart how many Cheetos you ate over the weekend. And if you brought that in charted, you would like immediately be the best teacher they've seen. Like if you chart your data, you're immediately like a rock star. Like everyone's like, oh. <laughs> well, here's the data. other thing. If you, one of the things we, we have very little research on on data collection and what's really required and how it works, which is kind of ironic. Yeah. But um, what's interesting is that we do have research that teachers who take data and teachers who graph their data, not just analyze, but actually graph their data, have students who make more progress. Um, and I think that's really, people will always tell, I can tell by looking at the numbers. It's like, yeah, there might be sometimes that you can, but you don't know what you're missing over the long term. I mean, I have kids I followed for years. I can go back and I have a kid right now that it's three February crashes. And we only know that because I went back through all of my graphs and was able to go every February we crash. I also went to, you know, every February I get the emergency phone call to fly here. Yeah. But, um, which is what we go back and look at the yeah. data, but, but you would have not that's known huge that. because yeah. I can't fix it necessarily because it's a biochemical thing with him. But I can say, we know starting in February, the demand scale back, the breaks scale up. And we just need to keep him on an keel until we come out on the other side. That, yeah. That's um, awesome. And, and without the graphs, we wouldn't have been able to do that. And I think that example right there really illustrates like, what is the point of data? Like, it's not because I told you and it looks nice or to like save your button and do process. Like, yes, it will do that. But like, mm-hmm. that's what the point of data is, is to know that mm-hmm. and be able to make those changes going forward. Right. And if we just take it and put it in a notebook and it doesn't inform our instruction, we get to the end of nine weeks and go, hmm, he's not making progress on the skill. But now we've wasted a quarter of a year. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to have made those changes three weeks in, four weeks in when we realized it with our data. So it's it also makes writing the progress report so much better and you don't have to stay up all night and do them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are your tips for That's like, huge. I mean, I think a lot of teachers just... You know, it's not like, you know, a bad intention of like, I'm going to take this data and not do anything with it, but, you know, life gets in the way. So what are some ways, like you said, your data Thursday, what are some other suggestions for making it part of your own routine? I think what we've found, and I've had other schools do it, is even if you're the only teacher of your kind taking this kind of data in your classroom, set aside one afternoon that you're just going to sit down and chart your data, that that's when it goes, have a template put it in the template. It allows you to check it. I like to use a lot of self-graphing data sheets as whenever I can, because it avoids, first of all, I get immediate reinforcement, hopefully by seeing his skills get better every time I finish a session. But then also it just, I don't have to do this part of it. Um, If you can sit down with your team and do it, do it. If you can do 
like a data buddy, somebody else in your district or a friend of yours that gets on Skype and we're just going to sit here and do our data together. Because sometimes you just need moral support to know it. A lot of times teachers don't know what to do with the data. Like I've got all this paper. I don't know what to do with it. And so, you know, when we do sample data, we have actually have an Excel spreadsheet that's available for free on my blog that um, you can put the this many times out of this many opportunities and it will graph it for you across the year uh, so that you can actually track skills over time. And that's been huge. That's what our preschool teachers used to use. And um, I'd love to get to a point where I could put a data sheet in the Excel spreadsheet and have it, but I have yet to figure out how to do that. <laughs> My skills in Excel are not that amazing, <laughs> but um, every year I update the dates and it's a weekly spreadsheet so that every week you just put in, you can have up to like three or four activity samples of data. It'll average it out and automatically graph for you. There's a video that shows how to use it and awesome. all that kind of stuff. I will, I will link that in the show notes. I'll have you send me that and we will link that. And I also okay. want to link, you have a blog post on the self graphing data sheets as well, right? Yes. I'm going to link that also. Cause that is awesome. Like, can you explain how those work a little bit? If people haven't sure. seen that picture, cause I love the picture. I was like, Oh, it's so beautiful. <laughs> uh, they actually originated from the preschool where we work, but as discrete trial data sheets. And now I use them for a lot of different things, but essentially you're recording your data in the boxes and then you're circling how many steps the student did. So whether it's independent work or discrete trials or uh, any kind of task analysis or you, anything where you're counting the number of opportunities or the number of steps, then you can just circle the number, connect the number, and it gives you a graph at the top of the page. It's a game changer to me. Yeah, I, I think so too. That's amazing. I will link both of those um, those posts so everyone can have access to that. Um, so it's okay if if people are listening to this in the middle of the year. So it's March. What are, what is your advice for the teacher that maybe you know it was going to be their year? It was going to be their year to take data, and they made the binders, and they're beautiful. And you know what? September they rocked it. October, there were two data points and they don't even know where that binder is now. Like, is it too late for them? <laughs> I would say two things. One is at this time of year, start thinking about, could you just test on the skill? So, you know, could you just say, I want to see how well you can do it by yourself and see where the child actually is. And then if you, if he's not where he needs to be, start taking some data from there. Um, so get a sense of how much he's accomplished rather than trying to backtrack to where he was in October. The other thing is start thinking about as you're writing, depending on how your district writes IEPs, whether it's on the birthday method, the anniversary method, or the everybody must have an IEP on the last day of May so we can do ESY and send them off for the next year. Think about how the data is going to be taken when you write those goals. Because even if you don't have that student, you're going to make the life easier of the next teacher. And hopefully if you can get whole district on board, it'll all factor in at some point fall into place eventually. <laughs> yeah. That that feels, you know, I think, you know, life gets in the way or you get a new student that has extreme behaviors and mm -hmm. all of the plans you made for collecting academic data just go right out the window and don't happen. Mm -hmm. um, oh man, I just lost my train of thought. I hate when that happens. Too, ex too many things to talk about. I could talk about data for like, I, I'm trying to consolidate my last few topics I want to get to. Um, Sorry, Chris. <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> um, okay, so let's l let's leave with some final, um, maybe like words of motivation for the reluctant data collector. Because I think everything that you've said will be like you know life ch game changers for people that are already in it, that are already trying to do it, whether there's missteps along the way, but the really reluctant data collector, like how can they get on board? What's the, like the first baby step they can do, um, that you think would be a good next place to go? Well, and I think as far as like the importance of it, there's a really great quote called, uh, if we have data, let's use data. If all we have is opinion, let's use mine. Um, and that to me describes the IP process so much. It's like, we don't have data. We have to figure out whose opinion we're going with here. Um, and so that to me is a motivator for why I need the data. Um, I think really start thinking about how are you teaching the skill and how can you track it in a way that is not overwhelming, like pick an activity and track the skill in that activity. 
Um, don't and don't feel like you need to start your data collection system even at the beginning of the year with every single sheet of paper. Yes. If especially if you're trying a new data form, data is a habit. It's something that we all do. That self-graphing data sheet, the trials now go from top to bottom. They used to go from bottom to top. And if I sit down to demonstrate discrete trials to somebody, teachers would look at me and go, why is number one on the bottom? So I switched it. But when I sit down to do it, I automatically start taking data at the bottom of the sheet and I work my way up because that's my motor memory from mm -hmm. so many years. And so I think don't feel like you have to do everything all at one time. It's better to have a small amount of quality data that is reliable than to have loads and loads of data that you can't figure out where it came from or what it means. Um, I'd rather have a small sample that you took once a week of how this kid did with this skill in this activity and know that it's accurate than to have you try to take data all week and not be able to because of the distractions of running a classroom. So don't feel like you have to do it all at once. If you're starting with a new data sheet, don't keep doing it for a while until you decide that it's really not for you or you decide that you know it's going to work. So it's going to take a while for that habit to take place. And don't throw everything in there at once, do one thing, let it become a routine, then do another thing. I'd say the same thing with working with your paras. Don't give them all the data to take at once. Give them one, let them get comfortable with it, then give them another one. Yeah. The more that you can use, the fewer forms you use, the easier it's going to be because you're not going to have to train on as many systems. And I just lost my train of thought. Sorry, it's contagious, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had a third point. Um, but um, it'll come it's gone. You. It'll come to you. Yeah. I think that's such a good point is that is to try stick with the data sheet for a little bit because I think so often, you know, we'll, you know, my thing, I always preach like if it's not easy, you're not going to use it and find the data sheet that works for you, but give it a chance too because it's not going to just be, you know, you wake up one morning and you're like, yes, I got this. So yeah, give it a few weeks. And if you're still like, this data sheet is a pain, not, you'll know that, but you'll also know why it's a pain. Like it's a pain because mm -hmm. it's too small a boxes for me to write in, or it's a pain because I could put abbreviations for the prompts and circle them instead of writing them in. Like you'll know at that point how you have to fix it and tweak it. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't give it that chance. Yeah, I know what it was. <laughs> the third thing is, not everybody's going to take data in the same way. I yes. wish there was a one size fits all. I wish there was one thing that I could just say, here, this is what you need to do. Don't do anything else. It's going to be perfect for you. But everybody, just like that mom and dad who one wanted grass and one didn't, everybody's brain works differently. Mm -hmm. So everybody is organizing things in their head differently. So sometimes your para may be using a different data sheet than maybe you would use in that situation. You know, maybe you're using different data collection systems than the teacher next door. Just make sure you're getting reliable data, that you're taking it consistently, and that you're analyzing it. And, and you're good. It's just you have to find the thing that fits you and fits your class. And what worked last year may not work this year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Every year is a whole new year. Even if, even if it's all the same kids, you know, those kids went mm -hmm. through puberty over the summer and they, they came in with a whole new set of behaviors. Um, yeah, that's such a good point. Yeah. Like why I had one teacher that would take all of the data on a post-it and then transfer it to a data sheet. And I, that like, but for no reason bothered me. I was like, God, that just seems like an extra step, but that's what worked best for her. And like, what do I care? Like it was accurate. She got it done. So you have to be open-minded with your staff is a really good point. Awesome. Well, I had a preschool teacher who walked in with masking tape, yes. three strips on each leg. And she's like, I can't carry a clipboard. I don't have any hands. I'm working with four-year-olds. Yeah. I'm like, you got it. Yeah. That's a great, actually, what other suggestions do you have for that? Cause I like people like eyes will bonk out of their head when I say like, you know, you should really take data while you're teaching. And they're like, while I'm teaching, like, I'm like, I don't have a free hand. So what are some little sneaky tips for the taking data while you teach situation? Um, the, the masking tape is definitely key. Even if you're working one-to-one -one with a kid, I had a speech pathologist who, by the time she had his, his communication device and all the materials, 
she could never find her data sheet because yeah. it was covered in stuff. So she ended up putting just masking tape on her arm and she divided it up into the couple things she was going to track that session and took tally marks that way. And that worked beautifully. Had other ones who put it on their pants leg and follow the kids around that way. Post-it notes is another one I use. Another way to encourage parents to take data is to leave them feedback on their data too. Mm-hmm. Stick a post-it note on it when you look at their data and go, thank you, this looks awesome. Yes. Um, especially if you can leave positive feedback or, you know, you've got three X's here, but I thought he was doing better than that. Oh no. And then you'll find out X's actually meant he did it. <laughs> it's like, oh, in my world, X's meant he didn't do it. It's good to know that because you scared me. Um, so, um, you know, post-it notes are great. Counters are great. Um, I've taken frequency data on behavior on a whiteboard where I just walked up to the board whenever I saw it happening and just made a mark and went back to what I was doing without, yeah. you know, without a lot of discussion, just that put it in one place where I could find it. And a lot of um, those like school, like fake wood tables, like you can draw on them with dry mm-hmm. erase boards, uh, dry erase boards, right. and they wipe white right off. So you could even do it right mm-hmm. on the table and... Yeah, you You can, you know, move paper clips from one pocket to another. And again, it, it really depends. I have a friend who can take three different counters and take data on three different kids' behaviors. And I know he's dead accurate. Mm -hmm. When I do that, I start clicking one kid with the left hand and one kid with the right hand. And then I click the left hand kids with the right hand. And now I've screwed up. (laughs) So I do better if I have paper and pencil because I can erase, I can scratch it. No, that wasn't him. That was this one. And I can change it. Um, I know, and, and on so, the click counter, then you're like, I can't remember what number I was I, even on. There's yeah, a para for one yeah. of my clients right now that has three different colors. You know, like you can get them in pretty colors now, which I love. And she has them like a holster, like on her belt mm-hmm. loops. And she's like, this one is eloping. This one is aggression. This one is this. A replacement behavior. And she like click, click, clicks all day. And I, I like, she doesn't look. She just knows where they are. Mm-hmm. And it's the most impressive mm-hmm. thing to watch. But you're right. I could not do that. Yeah, I had a teacher who did that. I I can't even do paper clips from one pocket to the other no. because again, again, I end up going in the opposite direction. Yes. Then I can't remember which one was that he did it, which one those he didn't. I I don't. So deal moral with those of the story well. is I do, do much what better works with, for you. <laughs> exactly, yeah. that's exactly right. Um, but I mean, there are little tricks like that. Some people really do well with apps, uh, mm-hmm. and you may have some app suggestions. I cannot find one that works for me. Yeah, uh, for the same reason. I click, I click, I click, and I didn't mean to click that time, and now I can't go back and fix it. And I think having um, the app or, like, a to me, having, like, technology out when it doesn't need to be is, like, more trouble than it's worth. Like, you're now mm-hmm. causing an issue because, like, your phone's there, your iPad, and it's not the reinforcer iPad or this. And, you know, I get a lot of questions. I'm really into using Google Forms for analyzing the data and I've had so many people that are like, I don't know why you're so into Google Forms. It's so hard to put the the data into Google Forms while you're teaching. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is this is after paper and pencil. Like you still need something easy to start and then throw it in there to kind of analyze it a little bit and see patterns that you might not be seeing or help you, you know, graph your data that way. But yeah, to me, I agree. The tech, having like a tech component adds to the complication to me. Yeah. In situ, but... Awesome. Thank you so much. This was so helpful. We get like talked about so many different topics. I don't even know how to summarize it all, but I'm going to for sure put the links. There were a few links, the sample, um, the sample Excel document, sample data, Excel document, the self graphing data, and then any other links that you can think of that we talked on. I'll throw all those in the show notes so people can get on them and definitely check out Chris's website for way more data data nerding <laughs> stuff. Cause we both, I could like talk data, I love for data. Hours here. I know. <laughs> It's hard for me. You know, to- after you, and you probably have this experience too, but it, it really came about out of necessity. It's like I dealt with a lot of new process cases mm-hmm. early in my career as a consultant. And so consequently, I was con- always having to come in and set up data collection systems for somebody else's data, mm-hmm. somebody else's goals and, and classroom. And it was just like, I got to I gotta have a system for this because this is driving me crazy. Yeah. And in <laughs> and a due process case, the data is what you need. I mean, it really is. Yeah. And you will, you, your student, your parent, however the situation is working, you all will be in the best position if there is accurate data. And that's what they're looking for. So mm-hmm. you'll be the most powerful one in the room. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much, Chris. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Earlier in this episode, Chris shared her favorite quote related to data, and she said, if we have data, let's use data. If we don't have data, we'll use opinions, and let's use mine. I love that. That really strikes to how important data is and why we need it. 
There's a similar quote that I refer to a lot when I do a PD on data. Without data, you're just another person with an opinion. So same idea, but a different spin on it. We need that heavy hitting, accurate data to defend our case, to show student progress, to make data-based decisions. You can't make data-based decisions if you don't have the data. So we can't be relying on just our opinions that things are getting better. We need to know that things are getting better. Chris shared a lot of great information. I'm going to go ahead and link her um, information on self-graphing data and rubrics and her sample data Excel document all in the show notes. So be sure to check those out and visit Chris's website, autismclassroomresources.com for tons more information on this topic. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Did you know that two out of three teachers turn to Teachers Pay Teachers for educational resources? As a seller on TPT, this makes me so excited. I love seeing educators turn to other educators for support in their classrooms. There are so many great resources on Teachers Pay Teachers. And this could be made even better if we could involve school budgets in this process. Enter TPT for Schools. TPT for Schools makes it easy for administrators and teachers to collaborate when making curricular decisions. TPT helps you set up a way of using school funds for these resources. This is a new program and there's already over 5,000 schools registered. In the special ed world, this is even more important because we don't have that many resources and the resources that are provided for us might not be so appropriate for our class. To learn more about TPT for Schools, visit schools.teacherspayteachers.com. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum, everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.